Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's crazy. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. Um, I am thrilled to bring you this not uh, PG episode with the one and only Cindy Gallup. Uh, Cindy made a splash in the advertising uh, executive world, which we talk about how much has changed for Mad Men and how much it hasn't. Uh, she worked for uh, several agencies, but was probably best known at Bartle Bogle and Hegarty. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, basically, it was a London ad firm who centered in the U.S. to set up their offices, and this was a massive. She also, I think, believe set up the Asia-Pacific branch of it as well. Um this is a massive, massive ad agency. They did accounts like Coca-Cola, Ray-Ban, Polaroid, and we I showed one of the commercials uh, for not quite as big a brand. Um, and then Gallup was like, I can't do this anymore. I want to use my money for things I really care about. So she created uh, Make Love Not Porn. And Make Love Not Porn really hit the world when she did at a TED Talk um, it became one of the TED Talks most talked about uh, TED videos. You can watch it. Um, and she actually later published a TED book, Make Love Not Porn, um, Technology's Hardcore Impact on Human Behavior. I'm going to guess you can figure out what Make Love Not Porn is about. It's about uh, having sex and love, but not necessarily porn, right? That's what you're thinking. No, I, that's what I thought. It's twofold. One is to just open a discussion and a dialogue about what equals sex, what's hot, what's sensual, and to really just get people to be talking about it. She doesn't say that she dislikes porn. It's more, in fact, she really likes it. It's more that she wanted people to be able to talk about it and not see it as the only um, only way to enjoy sex uh, virtually. <laughs> But also to talk about the harm that it's done when there's so much access to free porn and unfortunately that becomes the dominant way in which both young men and women, and I would say men of any age and women of any age, um, assume that's how they should be in bed. And so she actually created this website in part to also encourage people to do their own videos and um, they get they get revenues from it so you can check out make love not porn you will want to after you listen to our interview and all the photos just go online there go type in black apartment cindy gallup and you will know what i'm talking about all right this interview was taped live at joe's pub at one of our live shows enjoy it let's talk about sex baby let's talk about you and me let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that baby let's talk about sex Cindy, I, I, I should tell them why your um, TED Talk is so famous. Um, one of your TED Talks, you've done a bunch. Um, do you worry that on your grave stone, it's going to say, don't come on my face? 
Um, I don't, actually. <laughs> Although the entertaining thing about that, Katie, is that um, because of my TED Talk and the fact that I am the only TED speaker to have uttered the words come on my face on uh -huh. the TED stage six times a succession, I do get people <laughs> asking me... So, so I regularly get people saying to me, so, so, Cindy, you really don't like having a guy come on your face. And I, I, what I always say is, depends who's doing the coming. Okay, good. I think this is a great segue to talk about your childhood. <laughs> um, so here's a, here's a photo of you. Now, you grew up with a working mother who had four daughters who are all incredibly influential in their own spheres. Um, I was just curious that, that your parents met folk dancing. Can you tell me about growing up in Brunei? Because I don't know. I l know less about Staten Island than I do about Brunei, but I know sure. very little about Brunei. So um, I'm um, half English, half Chinese, and my father's English, my mother is Chinese, and they met in a YMCA in Singapore in the late 50s. Um, my father was traveling around the world, and he'd fetched up in Singapore teaching English, and he was staying at the YMCA, and they had a folk dancing session there one night, and so he and, and an English friend of his went to this class, and across the room they saw these two beautiful Chinese women, and my father claims he said to his friend, that's the woman I'm going to marry. They went over, chatted, chatted them up, and the rest is history. It's very, very romantic. Um, and I wanted to, to ask about a less romantic subject, which is you um, spent most of your career in advertising. And I wanted to just hear, you've worked at everywhere. You worked at uh, J. Walter Thompson, and then BB&H sent you to America to open up their office in 98. How relevant is Mad Men, the TV show? Like, when I watch that, is that a relevant picture of, of what it was like in the 80s and 90s and aughts? You know, the fascinating thing about Mad Men is both how much has changed in our industry and how much hasn't. And so I can tell you that the rampant sexism is still very much in play. In Go the sexism! Today. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, um, that, uh, uh, that's something that, you know, what you see in Mad Men in various forms still exists in the advertising industry today. And the drinking and smoking? Um, the drinking um, still goes on, although not to that degree. Um, the three martini lunch is a thing of the past. Although I have to tell you, by the way, I and a friend in advertising a couple of years back decided to conduct an experiment. We decided to actually have a three martini lunch. <laughs> and see and, how productive you um, were after. And, and see how productive we were. <laughs> so, um, so we went to, um, and I must admit, I slightly cheated. I chose 11 Madison Park because their martinis are brilliant, but they're not gigantic. Um, and so um, we, we actually had the waiters you know, photograph us, record each course, and we had a very productive discourse about creativity in the advertising industry. And actually, you know, our conclusion was that three martinis um, can be enormously productive, which, um, <laughs> which in this case went against, it went against my own rule because a martini is my favorite drink. And so over the years, bitter, painful experience has led to the Cindy Gallup martini rule, which goes, one martini is bliss, two martinis is ecstasy, three martinis is fucking stupid. I break it all the time, and, and in this case, actually, it worked really well. Um, well, maybe you can tell me after we show this clip. I know you've done major, major accounts, but this was one of my favorite that you're, um, you know, the, they had worked on. I don't know how much you worked on it, but I wanted to show you a, uh, show a clip of, of one of the things you did in advertising. It was one of my favorite. You can tell us how many martinis you had before you guys did this. I can feel your Are you absolutely sure? Ever close to my the same. 
Such art, such art there. I'm so glad they pay you guys the yeah. big bucks for that. <laughs> do, um, do you know that that was? I have to tell you, by the way, that that campaign, um, an awful lot of thought and strategy went into that campaign, and quite frankly, we got it completely wrong. It was not true to the brand at all, and it didn't work actually, which is very depressing because. Um, uh, it, uh, th th there were a number of executions, and it was very innovative for what is a cheap um, women's drink in the UK that is unfairly despised. <laughs> I don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel bad for Baby Sham's company. I don't feel bad for women in the UK. And I'm glad you guys got paid by the hour anyway. <laughs> um, so you were incredibly successful. You still are. You're consulting but you also decided to focus on a venture very dear to your heart and that I was alluding to it with the TED Talk. Um, can you tell folks a little bit about um, Make Love Not Porn? Sure, so Make Love Not Porn is an accident. Um, I date younger men who tend to be men in their 20s. And thank who, you. Uh, I want to hear the woos. And yes, it's fun. <laughs> and, um, Wait, we have a photo of you with some of them. Oh yes, there I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's is that that's me on the, the far end. The yeah, when we take our onesies off, it's essentially the band. <laughs> so um, those actually are the waiters at my fiftieth birthday party. Um, the, the theme was. You can go back to the photo and the, show it. The, um, the theme was "Come as your ultimate Helmut Newton fantasy," and so all the waiters were shirtless with tattoos that said "Property of Cindy Gallup" because that is my ultimate no, wait, fantasy. So your fantasy is to own all these men? Like you don't even have a pet? Like you really want to have all this property? Um, I can tell you, it was very enjoyable for one night. <laughs> Does it ever feel like a, I don't want to say double standard in reverse, but does it ever feel odd to be like the powerful woman who only wants to date younger men who are maybe not as bright as you are? Well, uh, well, well, well oh gosh, let me push back on that. Okay, okay good. Because I'm, I'm not surprised right. you're going to push back. Right. Yes, so, I encourage um, you to. Actually, dating younger men um, um, happened by accident. So um, when I was running BBH New York, we were asked to pitch... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Meeting a younger guy, I can see how that happens by accident. But once you're like at first base, never mind like dinner, like you can't just say that just happened. Um, no, what I mean is um, we were pitching 13 years ago for an online dating brand. And in advertising, when you pitch for a client, you have to experience the client's product and the entire competitive landscape. So we all had to online date. And this was 13 years ago, and none of us ever had. So the rest of the team created fake personas because they're married and you know, living with people. I was single. I thought, might as well do this for real. Got to do it for business. And posted my profile, honest about everything, my age included. And much to my amazement, A, got an avalanche of responses, very good for the ego, and B, 75% of those responses were from younger men, and the majority were from much younger men. And I went... How, How young? Thought, like Woody Allen young? Um, the, youngest, uh, the youngest I've dated is 18. Um, so, at, I, I, mean, I mean, they tend to be in their, in their 20s, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a very nice 19-year-old at the moment. So. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't feel inappropriate? He couldn't come tonight. <laughs> <laughs> the pub <laughs> part of the venue kept him out. Well, 
on the one hand, on the one hand, guys, obviously there are obvious advantages, lots of stamina, very short recovery periods. But on the other hand, actually, um, I have one fundamental criteria. No, no matter how casual relationship, they have to be a very nice person. I have fantastic men. That's, that's very nice, nice of you. That's nice of you to include. I that. only date utterly <laughs> lovely younger men in an atmosphere of mutual trust, respect, affection, and liking. And as a result, my so-called casual relationships go on a lot longer than most people's committed ones. Mm. I, I, I date younger men over periods of two, three, four, five, ten years. They may go on to date girls their own age. But then we they're not friends. younger anymore after the ten-year mark. Um, t- I'm, uh, they're still younger. Oh, 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 got it. <laughs> younger than you, that's they all don't that catch matters. Up. Got it, okay. Is, uh, is uh, 36 too old? <laughs> I love this, you guys. I am enjoying this so much. <laughs> To know that a 36-year-old male is too old makes me so happy. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it's not the about age, it's, a, it's about performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, my speed... So, my, yes. My, my speed is three times in 90 minutes. If you can deliver that, then fine. I'll text you. Wow. <laughs> he has two friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now... Part of the reason we're talking about your, your sex life is um, to talk about... Sorry, uh, back to topic. Yeah. <laughs> to talk about your professional life, which you've, you've, you've taken what you love the, a lot, which is sex, and um, created a website where people can upload videos of themselves. How much is the website about gaining awareness and how much is the website about actually like doing business? Oh, um, well, I believe the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. And so, you know... What my, my nephew is ready to be hired, but Absol- yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and so when my original tiny clunky website, makelovenotporn.com, that posts porn world versus real world, myths of porn versus reality, when that, when that sort of took off, um, I realized that there was an opportunity for a big business solution to a huge untapped global social issue. And... I saw an opportunity really to do with the fact that the issue isn't porn. The issue is the fact that we don't talk about sex in the real world. Our tagline at Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And so what I decided to do was simply take everything that exists out there in social media currently and apply them to the one area no other social network or platform will go in order to socialize sex and to make real-world sex and the discussion around it socially acceptable and therefore just as socially shareable as anything else that we share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. But um, I do want to tell you why I designed the business model for Make Love Not Porn to be the way it is, because I think it really touches on something Katie raised earlier. I believe very strongly that everybody should realize the value of what they create. And I feel this particularly strongly because my background is theater and advertising, Two industries where ideas and creativity are massively undervalued, even by the creators themselves. And so I believe that if you create something that gives other people pleasure, you should see a financial return. And the more people you give more pleasure to, the greater that financial return should be. That's got to suck for the people who don't get any money off their videos, though. Well, um, actually, we do a lot to promote that. I should just explain. We have a revenue-sharing business model at makelovenotporn.tv. You share your real-world sex. People pay to rent and stream those videos, and we give you 50% of the income. We want to hit the kind of critical mass where one day your Make Love Not Porn video could hit a million rentals at five bucks per rental, and we give you half of that revenue. 
I feel like my band is going to have a side job now. So this is great. Excellent. Please do. Like this is new income for them. Side um, job. <laughs> Actual job. Absolutely right. No, um, actually, I, I wrote a blog post when we launched called How Make Love Not Porn Can Help the Global Economy. And I opened it by saying, you know all those scam ads on the internet that go, you know, pop up all the time going, make $2,000 a week working from home. Well, now you can. There you go. Much better than telemarketing. <laughs> or a different form of telemarketing. Um, one other thing that you do is you sublet... Well, you don't sublet your apartment. Some people sublet and, and do Airbnb, but you um, have rented out your apartment for um, music videos and the like. And I just wanted to show people this because you're actually leaving this beautiful, famous, uh, the black apartment. And if you just Google black apartment, it immediately goes to Cindy Gallup's apartment. It does not go to like Prague. <laughs> um, so this is your apartment. There are no yep. doors or windows or anything like that. And I'm guessing that birthday party was in your apartment? Yeah, it was indeed, yes. So, I, so my question may not have much relevance. Did, were you, you, sh you had Notorious B.I.G. shoot a video in your apartment. How much did you make off of that apartment video? Um, How much well, did you make off of that video? Um, to actually, that was years and years ago. Yeah, um, yes. To, um, and, and, and it was um, Diddy, Nelly, Usher, Pharrell um, doing Nasty Gal in my apartment. If you, if you YouTube it... And Dad, you know that yeah. one, right? Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and they paid me a very nice chunk of change for it. Okay, good. I like the chunk of, chunk of change. Okay, that's fine. Um, so, uh, just out of curiosity... <coughs> Are you going to miss living in this apartment? I want to show some more details of it for people. Um, it's a great way to deal with closets. I, I put, what I do, I can totally relate to you, not, not having so much space like that, but I put them in the oven because there's not enough closet <laughs> space. But you, you got I, I think shoes are works of art in themselves. They're an art installation. That's my shoe Beautiful. collection. Runs the length of the living room. Are you, so are you going to miss having this space that you also use for business purposes? Well, um, so, so I've just sold my apartment, guys, after living there for 10 years. And I'm a huge fan of regular reinvention. I often tell people in business that what old world order industries need to do is blow it all up and start again, and I take my own advice. So actually, I'm not sad to leave at all because I feel it's time, and I'm in the process of attempting to buy, fingers crossed, a new apartment I'm very excited about that is also a fixer-upper, needs a gut renovation, but if all goes well, it will be equally spectacular in a completely different way. Well, it seems as if you've gone full circle because if your parents met at a Y and your yep. apartment used to be a YMCA that was turned into this... Actually, I, sh I should tell the audience, so I bought um, raw space in what used to be the old McBurney YMCA on 23rd Street across from the Chelsea Hotel. And the fun thing about my apartment is I bought the front half of the sixth floor of the Y. And they used totally. To Everyone here can relate to this. And, and they, they used to have their indoor pool in the back half. And so my apartment is the men's locker and shower rooms at the YMCA. Yes. I live in Chelsea Still. Gay Cultural Epicenter. <laughs> yep, great feng shui. That's what I reckon. Yeah. Um, I know that most of your money and a lot of your time is spent doing wonderful, wonderful speaking gigs. And I sort of wish you would focus mainly on that instead of um, running the websites that you do. Um, do you feel like you can do both? It doesn't matter. You can do everything. Wait, oh, um, oh, yeah. No, um, everything I do cross-references because, as I was saying earlier, I live my own philosophies. And so, you know, my, um, my website, my startups, Make Love Not Porn It, around the world, are 
reflections of my two passions. I want to redesign the future of business. I want to redesign the future of sex. And so all my public speaking consultancy work is about redesigning business. And I regularly talk about Make Love Not Porn as a business case study because, again, I'm, I'm living out my own principles. I believe the business model of the future is shared values plus shared action equals shared profit, financial profit and social profit. And I'm doing that. You know, and I can say to audiences, I'm not one of those speakers who pontificates on the stage. Everything I talk to you about, I'm doing myself, I'm trying, I'm experimenting, I'm failing, I'm trying again. So, yeah, it all works together. Well, I'm so glad that you are doing it and taking a stab at things that I would never, ever, 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 ever take a stab at. And another person who would never do that is Ruth <gasps> Bader Ginsburg. But um, I know that she is a leader, and I feel like you are a leader in your own way as well. And I'm very, very proud of you for speaking out, uh, especially as a younger woman in the business world. I'm always proud of you for speaking out about us on terms of harassment, on terms of uh, financial gain, and I'm sure the men here are very excited that you are also open to them as well. Yes. So thank you very much for being on the show, and I'm just going to give you this, and you'll come back for the oh. award ceremony. Oh, my God, I'm so thrilled to have a copy of that. That is fantastic. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Thank you so much to um, Alex Siner and Superfine Audio. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to those of you who donate. Come to the live shows. You can check out um, employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out ways you can get involved at Katie Lazarus to um, stay up to date as to when um, our next guests are and who had to switch because they had to go to Myanmar and who had to switch because they um, just got booked in a massive toothpaste commercial. Hopefully that will be me. But, well, somehow I'm going to figure out. That's the thing about me. I'm so flexible. I'm going to figure out how to book that massive toothpaste commercial and still be able to bring you Employee of the Month. Have a good one. Bye.